Hey, Dunder Brown. Happy Valentine's Day. Well, I guess it passed on Monday, but I really wanted to take my time with this episode and do it justice since it wasn't just me and a guest doing an interview. This is a little different. This episode actually pays an ode to Valentine's Day, of course, but it really the focus is to highlight the stories of three women who fell in love with themselves in finding love. And I think that's really important to highlight. I mentioned on my Instagram, but growing up, I had a very non-conventional way of looking at Valentine's Day in my family. My dad modeled that it should be all year round, and my mom felt like we shouldn't look for love in other places and would buy us roses and over-the-top chocolate boxes. And it really, you know, at the time, I'd be like, Mom, of course you have to do this. You love me because you birthed me. But now, wow, that was a really progressive example that both of them said. It made me challenge in the future what Valentine's Day really was for. I'm not saying that at the age of 18, I didn't feel bad sometimes when, you know, you watch people around you talk about their flowers that they got and whatnot. But it didn't hit me the same way other comparisons hit me because I think I realized that, first of all, it's a very capitalistic holiday. This shit was invented. Second of all, Love comes in so many forms. It comes in my friendships. I had a best friend I celebrated Valentine's Day with consistently. She was one of my maids of honor. And I had a blast with her every single time. I could not think of a better Valentine's when I was single. On the other hand, there's when I was in a relationship, I didn't have good people to celebrate Valentine's Day with. So now it means something very much more because I found my husband who I do love and I do know what real love looks like. I think it comes in the form of your family, just celebrating, you know, and telling your sister you love her or your brother. I hope you find that the three stories that we featured today demonstrate this to a T. The point is that we're finding self-love through loving others, which I hope goes to show that it doesn't have to happen through romance. It can happen literally by just doing service to others, to be a good friend, to be a good family member, etc. That's how I feel about Valentine's Day. That's the kind of love that I want to celebrate. That being said, the three stories today, you'll see that are shown in a different format. It's not an interview style like I typically do. And in fact, I've removed myself from the equation alone because I really wanted to showcase these women and the diversity within our own Brown community. We kick off with Sophie Khan, who tells her story of being a queer Mexican and Pakistani woman. She calls herself Mexisani and how she found her own love story with herself before she found it with her partner. We then cover Jolly. Jolly is a grad school friend of mine, actually, and I didn't tap her just because she's a friend of mine, but she has a wonderful story of some of this messaging that we have in our brown community, and in particular for her, the Punjabi community, and how she took control of her story. She wrote a narrative for herself, and she shifted it by herself and found a partner that really gave her the space to do that. I wanted to hear highlight brown and brown love because it's not just about interracial love. I think that's getting a lot of um, spotlight lately. And, um, you know, it's cool. Of course, I'm in one myself, but I think there's beauty also in brown love stories and we should celebrate those. And then lastly, we end with Roshni Kamta, who is someone who is a part of the Brown Girl Mag Um, and has a story that shows the interracial side of dating someone who is from a different ethnicity 
and answer some of the questions that some people have about what do you have in common? How do you find that common ground? Can you see this blend and fusion really happen, you know, without giving up your identities either? And I think she does a great job of demonstrating that. All three of them have very different vibes, personalities, storytelling qualities, but all three of them are beautiful women who have vulnerably shared their stories. So I hope we can respectfully hear them out and that you take away a few points on what love can look like. Sophie Khan, and falling in love with my identity has been quite the journey. I grew up in a predominantly black and Puerto Rican neighborhood, and my physical traits were similar to those of my neighbors, and so they naturally thought that I was black and Puerto Rican. Uh, they referred to me as Black Rican, so then as a kid, I naturally thought I was Black Rican, and so it wasn't until my childhood best friend came to my front porch and was like, Sophie, get your black African ass out of here and come and play with me. And my dad quickly following up like, Oi, she's not black Puerto Rican. She's Pakistani Muslim. And then my mom following up with, and she's Mexican too. Um, that is the moment that I realized that I was not black and Puerto Rican, that I was Mexican and Pakistani or Mexistani, as I like to say. And um, I was also part of this interfaith household um, at the time, even though that my, even though my dad was Muslim, uh, I was sent to a Catholic private school and so was learning about both religions, more obviously more exposure to Catholic um, than Islam and um, just learned about Islam just through my cousins um, or as much as possible, like when they were not like getting into mischief and things like that. Um, so it was definitely tough uh, growing up, for sure. Um, There's a lot of confusion going on. Um, me asking for birria when I was in Pakistan or me asking for biryani when I was in Mexico on family vacations. And so it was um, definitely tough. Um, and all the way through college, um, I think I had always kind of tried to make a connection um, with both sides of my culture. Uh, I think it wasn't until college that I finally was able to connect with a with different student organizations. Um, one was the Mexican Students Datslan. And I tried to join the Pakistani Student Association, but that was a little tough because the majority of folks that were part of that organization were from affluent suburbs, and um, definitely a different type of life, different way of speaking. And I, I, I felt like an alien uh, or I felt like I appeared as an alien to a lot of folks um, with the way that I dressed, with the way that I spoke. Um, and it wasn't the most welcoming environment at that time. And so I just gravitated towards um, the people that embraced me. And um, that was the Latinx community at the time. And I think it wasn't until later on when 9-11 um, hit that 
that's when I it's it's almost like I started to create safe spaces so leveraging like what I learned about creating safe space and having pride for being Mexicana Latinx and like that fierceness like I you know I felt I found myself at that time kind of translate translating that over to the uh, Muslim side of me to the Pakistani side to the to the South Asian community to um, uh, because of the different struggles that people went through at that time uh, fast forward uh, a couple more years you know when I started to really learn about my uh, sexual orientation and my identity uh, initially I thought I was bisexual and then continuing to you know explore then I landed on um, understanding that I was actually pansexual and recently came out to my family both both parents uh, my sisters already knew they were already in the loop uh, but formally came out to my parents in December of 2019 actually and that is really the moment that I fell in love with my full self and was able to move forward with then being able to create space for my relationship um, with my fiance so after I came out December of 2019 my fiance actually proposed to me August of 2020 um, actually on my dad's birthday and Pakistani's Independence Day she did not know but it is so fitting because it just bring it just brought everything to a full circle and by being able to come to terms with my full identity I now fully love myself thank you love story with my husband started in the way of so many millennial romances. Not in a meet cute, I bumped into you at a coffee shop kind of way, but more like a specific algorithm based off of a survey that I had filled out and a profile was presented to me type of way. I had graduated and started my first corporate job in the beginning of 2013, and I had not dated throughout my college career. If I had had a crush on anyone, it was typically unrequited. So naturally, I was incredibly insecure about dating. I couldn't quite figure out how to get someone to ask me out. And I got used to rejection. I was resigned to the fact that maybe I wasn't the type of girl that men like. Maybe I was too much. I was too loud. I was too boisterous or something to that extent. And I got lucky because my brown parents did not put too much pressure on me. But in my mind, I had this idea that life was very linear and I would go to school, I would graduate, someone would ask me out, we would hit it off and we'd get married and it would be this very linear lifestyle. But that's not what it was. And whenever mom and dad would ask me if I was seeing anyone, I would be so disappointed in myself when I would have to say no. And so thinking through that, I started to realize that if I wanted to go on a date and find someone to spend my time with, then I would need to make it happen for myself. So I decided that I would go on 20 dates in 2013. 
I had read this story of a guy that went around and asked people, uh, random people, random questions to get used to them saying no. And so I decided to treat this like a little experiment. I was looking to date and maybe find a boyfriend. And so I specifically would only go on dates with men that I had asked out myself that had accepted my, my request. And, you know, I never went out with anyone that talked to me first, really. So O was actually number 12. He didn't know it at the time, and he made this assumption that I was seeing just him, but the 20 dates really felt like a challenge. And as an HR professional, I'm really good at interviewing. So I enjoyed going out on a first date. I felt so confident um, asking questions and really feeding off that first date energy. O was a little appalled. Um, he'd ask me what I was up to, and I'd tell him, oh, I'm getting ready to go on a date. But he was located in Cleveland and I was in Chicago suburbia. So it was a long distance kind of conversation, a slow start, right? And I would go on my dates, but eventually we did physically meet each other and I finished my little 20 date challenge. So I stopped my player ways. So some of the things that drew me to O is that he's got this great voice which is really important when you're in a long distance relationship. He also happened to be taller than me. And as a five, seven brown girl, that was really important to me. And he thought I was a riot. So we started that long distance relationship and I hadn't been looking to date a Punjabi guy at first, but he just happened to have the same cultural background as me. So I thought, check, there's not gonna be any issues with parents. I did originally doubt that a true relationship would be able to work out with this person, but that wasn't my original goal because I was just looking to have a boyfriend. But I did break up with him for about two months in 2014. I was actually going out to hang out with my dear friends in Georgia and Valentine's weekend 2014. I could not stop thinking about him. So I quickly got back together with him. And then some hurdles came my way. I was laid off from my job, and so I got a new role and had to move to California and also got a case of massive anxiety with that. Throughout the move and you know some of the mental health struggles that I was going through, O really stuck with me. He called me every day. He visited me often, and we maintained a long-distance relationship for three years, he in Cleveland and me in SoCal. We got engaged New Year's Eve 2015, and we got married in 2017. O is my most trusted confidant. He really is the best dance partner that I could ever have, and he knows exactly how I like to take my tea. Having that shared Punjabi background has been really wonderful because we do share a language together other than English. And so that's like a really beautiful way for us to be able to carry a part of our culture on. But other things we have in common is that we are both older siblings. So we've had the pleasure of breaking our parents in so we can watch our younger siblings just, you know, write the rules as they go on. And we've also had the same shared traumas of growing up as brown kids in the Midwest in the 90s. Now, when I look back to my dating experiment, I don't think that I was 
the type of girl that guys didn't like. I think I just had a really bad sample pool and I didn't have a good understanding of, of, I guess, the politics of dating, the expectations of dating. And nowadays it doesn't really matter. But for what it's worth, I think I do get hit on a lot more now as a married woman than I ever did as a single lady. And I think O is pretty amused and enjoys that too. my authentic brown self. Growing up in a predominantly white area, I struggled a lot with connecting with my peers around me on my culture because I didn't want to be made fun of, so I kind of hid it away. Um, and I even wanted to do that in the relationship, but then I realized um, he knew a lot about my culture. Um, my parents are from Suriname, um, and a lot of people don't know where Suriname is. Um, or even where it is. Um, and so when we initially started talking and I told him my parents are from Suriname, um, he was like, oh, I know where that is. And that caught me off guard. I thought, you know, he was just trying to flirt with me or whatever. Um, but as we continued talking, um, you know, he, we, he told me that he's very inter interested in flags. And so he knew about Suriname and, you know, read up about it. Um, and that really made me happy. Um, and from then on, you know, um, he's eaten my, eaten my mom's food, no matter how spicy it has been. Um, he's, um, you know, come to Diwali. He's uh, been to weddings. Um, and it's just really nice to, like, share that with someone because I never really got to do that when I was younger. Um, and I don't have that shame or um, I don't want to hide that part of myself anymore and so it's really nice to be in a relationship where that is um, welcomed and I mean the same for him um, he's Jewish and um, I've you know um, I've uh, I've gone to Hanukkah um, uh, we spent Passover together and I've learned um, the different prayers that are said um, and the different foods that are eaten so it, it's just really nice to be able to share those different aspects of cultures. Um, and in, and um, since that, we've realized there are a lot of um, similarities between Hindus and Jews. Um, and I've also come to find out that in Suriname, actually, there, there, there was a big um, Jewish population. Um, so it's just really nice. Uh, it makes me feel um, that I can be in this relationship fully as myself and not want to hide anything. Some of my personal mental hurdles um, being in a relationship were communicating effectively and boundaries. Um, I say communicating effectively because um, growing up, my parents always yelled at each other to communicate. That was their main form of communication, whether it be through anger or through uh, playfulness, it was always yelling. Um, and so that's what I grew up with, just you know, constant yelling and constant uh, verbalizing in a rough voice. And so I thought that was a normal way of communicating things. So when I got into a relationship, 
um, I started mirroring the same things as my parents and my partner made me realize that those were not healthy um, and those and it's not effective to communicate that way. There are other forms of communication that are more productive um, and help form a healthier relationship. And I've since, and with the help of therapy, since um, learned to communicate with I statements, um, learned what my own boundaries are and how to communicate them because that's another thing in a brown household, you really don't have boundaries um, and if you do have boundaries, they're usually looked down upon or you're told that you're ungrateful for having these boundaries. Um, but in a relationship, um, you learn that having boundaries is helpful. It uh, lets you and your partner know uh, what works and what doesn't work for you and where you need space or um, where you need um, reassurance or um, just, you know, healthy boundaries create a healthier relationship. The biggest mi misconception that people have about interracial relationships is that your partner is not willing, or your partner's family, or even your own family is not willing to integrate um, cultures and traditions. That is completely false. I've been in a relationship for six years with someone who is Jewish and I am Hindu. Um, since we've been dating, his family have, has come to Diwali and spent um, that holiday with my family. Um, they have come, came to my cousin's wedding, which was a giant Indian wedding, as you can all imagine. Um, and they wore Indian clothing. They wore his, I gave his mom my uh, one of my uh, langas um, and um, his dad, we purchased him a, a kurta to wear and they had fun. They ate a lot. They danced a lot. Um, it was a really great time. Um, and my family has also um, integrated with their Jewish traditions. Um, we've done Hanukkah together. We've done Passover. Um, and I've come to learn more about the Jewish tradi uh, traditions, um, and it's been really, it's been really nice to integrate uh, the two cultures because we've come to find out there are a lot of similarities between Jews and Hindus. Um, so it's been very nice.